knew this one was more than just the biggest story of my life. It was the biggest story in the lives of everyone on this planet. I fought for the story, fought harder than ever before, because I knew it was more than news. Much more. I felt people should know about it so they could be prepared when it happened again. If it's possible to be prepared for something like this. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the case known as They Have Been, They Are, They Will Be. Originally aired on September 27, 1974. That is the third episode of Kolchak, The Night Stalker, a.k.a. The Night Stalker. We're back to Alan Barron directing this one and a teleplay by Rudolph Borchet, who also wrote the first episode of The Night Stalker, The Ripper, which we talked about a few months ago. Now, I have to ask you, Chris Stashu, my intrepid co-host, what is more scary, an invisible alien or an invisible werewolf? You want the real answer? Neither one is scary. All right. Which one's scarier for you? An invisible alien makes more sense than an invisible werewolf. And I like that they actually don't come out and say alien or UFO until much later in this episode. And that it is somebody else that actually brings it up. That it isn't Carl going around saying, it's UFO, it's a UFO. That somebody has to come out. It's actually Vincenzo says, there is no UFO. And that's when... Carl kind of latches on to the idea. I think he kind of knew before that, but he uh, was still kind of feeling it out, feeling out the idea. What what can be going around killing animals and stealing electronics and two tons of lead ingots? Well, it makes sense to me as an alien, of course. But wait, in the episode of the reboot of Cool Shack, was the werewolf invisible? Or did it was invisible. See- okay, we didn't see it, right? Right. We didn't see it. Right. In this episode, the alien is invisible. There is a point where you see a spaceship door open on its own because the alien is getting inside. So in this episode, the monster is straight up invisible. This is very much like that John Oliver joke about there's only one Olsen twin and she just vibrates at such an incredible speed that it looks like there's two of them. In this one, the alien vibrates so fast, which I think is also in an Ultraman episode, the alien vibrates so fast that you don't see it at all. It works at a different level. Kolchak proposes we can't see infrared or ultraviolet light, but we know that it's out there. Why can't we have the same thing for this alien? I I posited two more interesting and even more spiteful ideas. One is that this alien operates similar to the thing that John Hurt says at the end of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is this alien is in the space between the spaces. That works. Or the alien is like the car in Die Another Day. It reflects the environment around it. Ooh. Well, like the Predator. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Pretty much. What if, you know what? This is the Predator, Mike. Ooh, early version of the Predator. Yeah. That You know what? It's an invisible alien that steals parts of human bodies. I don't remember or think that the Predator needed lead ingot for anything, but, you know, proto-Predator. It's an interesting episode because there's parts of it that work, namely everything with, like, every character actor from the mid-70s, because this episode is chock full of character actors. All of that works, but when it has Shack interacting with the alien, the invisible alien, it just, it's, it's just not great because this may have worked in the 70s, but it didn't age well. And that's no fault of its own, really. I mean, you know, there's no way anyone could have been, you know, could have known that 40 years from now, people are going to be watching this and, and talking about it. 
Right, and picking it apart. Right, so it's not like they were saying, well, what are these two assholes 43 years from now are going to be saying about the invisible alien on our show? Right. Hey, should we throw in a POV shot done in fake hate vision? Yeah, maybe that might help out, but why should we bother? Are we further just trying to prove that this is the Predator? Right, exactly. Cole Shack meets the Predator. You are one ugly mother. I would watch that. Yeah. I, would watch I think that. Dark Horse needs to get on that. Dark Horse and Moonstone need to team up and do a crossover Predator Shack episode. I'd be down. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, outside of the character actor interactions that Shack has, because there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot of really good character actors in this episode. It's just, it, it kind of falls flat. Yeah. This one, after having seen the zombie, even though the zombie... There was an actual corporeal menace in that one. I have to say that I found this one to be a little bit more effective just because I like the way that the mystery kind of plays out a little bit in this. Now, there's a lot of areas where we are getting information kind of ultra conveniently, but just to follow Carl around Chicago and we have this running gag throughout the entire episode, which is the Cubs playing the Boston Red Sox at the world series. So two of the most losingest teams, the ones that have the, the Cubs finally made it to the world series. Did they win though? (laughs) Mike, are you serious? I am serious. They won last year, yeah. Yeah, 2016. So yeah, it took them, only took them 42 years from when this episode aired. They didn't do a movie about it with Jimmy Kimmel and Drew Barrymore, so how am I supposed to know this? Jesus. I know the Red Sox won because of that movie, but otherwise... The Red Sox won, and then they won again, like, two more times in, like, five years. Jesus, really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the Red Sox won, and then they won again, I think, at least one more time, probably another time. Didn't they have to kill a goat to let the Cubs win? No, they had to hire a manager who knew what he was doing to win. So, killing a goat, same difference. Not having a scapegoat, how's that? Do they throw the goat onto the field like they throw the octopus out on the ice around here for the uh, Stanley Cup stuff? Why do they throw octopuses on the ice? Because there's eight arms of the series or something. It's disgusting. I don't know why they do it, but that's I know in thing. Nashville they throw catfish on the ice. Really? Yeah, like raw catfish on the ice. I don't fucking know why. At least by that time the catfish is dead. These are live octopi they throw out there. You know, it's just, it's crazy to me, like, throwing a, a raw, like, animal so anywhere. Like, why? What the fucking crazy? <laughs> As you can tell, we're not really sports people here on the Kolchak tapes. <laughs> Mike didn't know that the Cubs won, and I find it weird. I find weird, superstitious shit that they do during sports events to be just so archaic, to say the least. But it, But in this episode, it is an awesome kind of through line. It gets kind of dropped towards the, like, two-thirds of the way through the episode. But it's an awesome through line that there's like this kind of like deadline that he's trying to make so that he can go to the game because he got a ticket to the game from Updike. And this really kind of plays what is more important to Carl. Is it going to see the Cubs who are in the World Series, or is it following this case? I like that Vincenzo uses a little reverse psychology on him, like, oh, no, no, don't worry. I'll, I'll send uh, I'll send Monique 
don't sweat it. But and as soon as he drops that, then Carl is just sniffing around like a bloodhound. What, what what's going on? Oh, there's a and I like how he's like, Oh yeah, I already know there was a missing animal from the zoo. And then he's like, Oh no, this is another one. And and then Carl's radar just goes right up. It's like, oh, suspicious circumstances. I have to check this thing out. I will I'll take a little bit of a rain delay on the uh the baseball game and get to it later on, but first I gotta go to the zoo and check this thing out. And like you said, it really further solidifies that Kolshak is a man married to the job. We haven't really seen Kolshak have like a female love interest in the show. And I don't know if there will be, but it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for there to be at this point because he is like a singularly minded character. I was kind of hoping that him and Dr. Bess Weinstock would kind of, you know, hook up a little. He's kind of flirting with her pretty hardcore at one point. Yeah, but he's not he's not doing what he was doing in the first in the, the Night Stalker. Yeah, the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler where he's like he's like, yeah, I'm, we're doing this like. Yeah, he's buttering her up. She is the uh, vet at the zoo, and he has to get some information from her. And so he's just uh, laying on the compliments, which is pretty awesome, because she's played by Mary Wicks, who is a very familiar face, one of those character actors that you talked about. And for me, as soon as I saw her, I was just like, immediately went to Bewitch. She was one of the two Mrs. Kravitzes. I guess it makes sense that there were multiple Mrs. Kravitzes since there were multiple Darrens on that show. She was one of the Mrs. Kravitzes. I, I kept thinking that she was one of uh, Samantha's aunts in the show, but no, she lived across the street, was a was a, a snooper. I liked her, but I really liked Dick Van Patten because I think Dick Van Patten's voice is just, uh, it's amazing. I've never heard Dick Van Patten be as... He's just very brusque in this, but I mean, he's not brusque to Carl. He's just kind of ragging on the city of Chicago for taking forever and ruining his lawn and trying to burn the same black goo that he has on his lawn that Kolchak found at the zoo. And he is just tearing into City Hall for what a horrible job they did trying to get this stuff off of his lawn. I gotta go. I mean, that's literally one of the lines. He's just like... Hang a lantern on it, why don't you, for the love of God? Did he see who took his stereo? The only thing he saw was stars when they yanked the earphones off his skull. (laughs) What time was that? Last night. I have to go. Uh, My time has come to an end on this episode. Better go collect my paycheck, grab a muffin from catering, and leave. I mean, that's what it boils down to. He gives so much exposition. He's just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, and then my neighbor, he had his electronics stolen, too. And then this guy over here. Yeah, it's like, wow, okay. The aliens were busy around that neighborhood that night. Carl Kolchak happens to hear on the radio this thing that just happens to be tied to what's going on. Like, oh, the plot convenience thickens. Well, that's really the thing, because he even hears the first... What was it? He hears the call for, oh, the robbery at the electronics store Mm -hmm. because his radio's on the fritz, probably because the aliens are around. And he dips at one point. Yes, he dips to the uh, conversation on the radio call-in shows and hears Dick Van Patten. And then then at another point, his radio kind of arbitrarily switches to the police band. (laughs) And he hears that. So he's off to the electronics store where the alien is stealing two tons of of lead ingots, which I'm not sure why they would have that electronics store. I think they might have been working for the Taliban. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
You know, we talked about how this alien might be the predator. This alien, like, also shares some similarities with E.T. Because it's like, this this whole episode essentially comes down to, and, you know, you kind of find out in the last couple minutes that this episode is about the alien using bone marrow and lead ingot and electronics to go home. He's hungry, so he grabs a bite to eat, is the oh, way that okay. Carl puts it. I love that. I honestly, I honestly thought they was using bone marrow to go home. Rather than eating Reese's pieces, he's sucking the bone marrow out of zoo animals, and then eventually some nutter who thinks that he can speak to aliens through mathematics. You know what? Nocturnal terrors was an idea that Steven Spielberg and and uh, Toby Hooper had. So could have that could that's that's it's all connected. It's Keep all watching connected. the skies. That's yeah. Cool. But, you know, I was glad that there were a ton of character actors. John Fiedler comes back, which is awesome. John Fiedler's I love that great. scene. But yes. we do get Jack Greenwich and Carol Ann Susie back as well. Carol Ann Susie playing double duty in this. She is now taking the role that was it uh, the office boy, the male boy. Uh, he had a name. We, we gave him a name a few uh, episodes ago. He was played by Rob Berger. He's the guy who was developing pictures for Cole Shack. And now Monique is doing that job, though. Apparently, uh, Carl only had infrared film at the time, so she says that his uh, photographic style is not very good. And it's also refreshing to see that Carl Kolschak is not calling her a stupid woman. Yes, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, again, I wasn't offended, but again, kind of like the invisible alien, doesn't particularly age well. Actually, it doesn't age well at all. I would say it ages worse than the invisible alien. It's just a different time, folks. <laughs> And Monique, she's got some good stuff. She's got some good lines in this. If anything, I think that uh, Ron Updike gets a little bit of short shrift. We get him at the very beginning, him uh, giving the tickets to Carl after Carl reminds him of the uh, the jammer for the local um, uh, roller derby team having threatened Ron's life and Carl stepping in and being the voice of reason there. So I kind of would have liked to have seen that scene, but I was glad the way that they described it. That was pretty good. Well, and Jack Green is fantastic as Updike. He's a good kind of foil to Kolshek, but we don't get to see him enough in this episode as far as I'm concerned. No, no. We'll definitely be getting more of him as we go along, at least I hope. I think we get more of him and then we get less of Gordy the Ghoul as we go along, which is, it, I'm going to miss if uh, as soon as we start losing John Fielder in these episodes. Yeah, he's fantastic. I was very happy, and I thought that this was going to be a recurring role to have James Gregory as Captain Quill. James Gregory, another fantastic character actor. I know him most from The Manchurian Candidate. He was a inspector on Barney Miller. People might know him as General Ursus in the Planet of the Apes films. Those are the original Planet of the Apes films, guys, not the Tim Burton abomination or the fairly competently put together recent spate of Planet of the Apes films. Thank goodness they've kind of got a handle on this stuff. Beyond competently put together. Yeah, I'm saying that before the third one comes out. I'm just hoping it doesn't shit the bed. So It doesn't. Okay, good. All right, fantastic. It beyond does not shit the bed. Wow. One of the best movies I've seen this year. Holy cow. A little bit of a preview there for you. I love it. And then his uh, one of his guys, one of the cops there, is Len Lesser, who plays 
strangely enough, his name is Crowley, but he has absolutely nothing to do with the uh, forces of darkness. And Len Lesser, to most people, you will know him as one of the guys from Kelly's Heroes. No, you'll know him as Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. And such a great voice. And I was afraid he only got one line, but then he manages to come back and give a couple more. But he is not nearly in this episode enough for my taste. I mean, other than Dick Van Patten, probably my favorite character actor in this episode is Maureen Arthur, who plays the aptly titled Woman Speaker. She's a true believer in aliens, let's put it that way, who has a scene very reminiscent of the beginning scene of Ghostbusters 2, where Bill Murray is interviewing a woman who claims she was abducted by aliens at a Holiday Inn in Paramus, New Jersey, except this woman is claiming that the alien was, quote, trying to get fresh with her, and she told it to keep its proboscis to it, appendages to itself. She says something to that effect, but she essentially, you know, rebuffed the advances of a horny alien. I wonder if it was her rebuffing or that amazing hat she was wearing that kind of turned the alien off. That hat, what was going on? That hat should have gotten co-star billing on there. Woman speaker, woman speaker's hat. I like that we see kind of the flip side of Shack as far as, you know, he is a true believer, but he's not nearly as out there as some of these folks are. And to have this meeting of people who have been taken by, uh, uh, have had close encounters of various kinds. Did I ever tell you the story of the um, library at the Roswell Museum in New Mexico? I love that place. And you've been there too? I've been to Roswell, yeah. So I went to that museum, that cornball museum the ufo museum the sir. ufo museum the yes. ufo museum and the library inside of it how dare you mike how dare you insult such an upstanding establishment i'm in the library and i'm a big fan of nikola tesla who unfortunately gets lumped in with a lot of like looney tunes kind of stuff but i'm looking for some nikola tesla stuff and i'm just browsing their library and there is this group of people and they're all at this one table and there's one woman and they're just kind of like huddled around her and just like speaking very low and i'm just like browsing around and all of a sudden she pipes up and just goes it was not an airplane believe me and everybody's just like i know honey i know and just like (laughs) it was amazing i was like oh she had an encounter so i guess i need to ask you mike do you not believe in aliens you know i don't know if i do or not I won't even try to use some sort of like Pascal's wager kind of thing. I would find it easier to believe in intelligent life in outer space than I would to believe in a lot of other things. I believe in UFOs. I'm a I'm not a I'm a true believer, but I'm not a I'm a coal shack, not a woman speaker. I'm more of a woman speaker's hat. <laughs> I'm just here for the show, guy. <laughs> That's right. I just sit here and try to look pretty and come off looking hideous. Roswell's a, a, a wacky place. I mean, this this episode, if this had been an episode of like Supernatural or something of the, of that ilk, might have taken place in Roswell. Use the X word, because we might as well. I wasn't going to say the X-Files. I actually wasn't. This is such a prototype X-Files episode. Yeah, but to be fair, every X-Files episode that any ever had anything to do with aliens was always mythology. This was more coherent than a lot of the mythology episodes for the X-Files in the later seasons. At least there was no black oil in this. and The black oil made sense. It jumped the shark when they killed the entire syndicate off. And then they were like, and now they're super soldiers. 
Though Darren McGavin's sister isn't kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. Nor sure. is Monique Marmelstein. Nor is she a smooth, sexy, curvy, redheaded woman. Nor is she thrown into a cab and sent back to Brooklyn. <sighs> Jesus Christ. That astounding. Still astounding. Get that woman out of here. Eventually we'll find a good cop for Kolshak to go against. Right. It's kind of strange that like the cops don't aren't recurring characters in the show. He's not moving. He's in Chicago this whole time. So it, it almost doesn't make sense to have anyone else. Well, the first guy, well, actually the second cop that he goes up against, he gets put away or leaves town under mysterious circumstances because they find out he was a dirty cop. So right. that makes sense. They explain away him. I don't know if they in the next episode, if they're going to explain away captain quill leaving the force or him not ever showing up again i doubt it like i said i would really like to have seen more james gregory i mean everyone in this episode is fantastic i would like to see more of everyone i mean i would like to see more of dick van patten in this you know in a future episode but yeah it's not going to be the case he could be the monk alfred brindle Talking about his Italian, his Italian neighbor who almost had his head taken off. And I did like the guy who was trying to speak the international or the intergalactic language of Mathematico. He, he was on screen for way too short of a time. Got murdered by the alien. Yes. He was just hungry. That's a that's such a weird thing that the alien sucks out the bone marrow, but then regurgitates part of it. I guess most of it maybe, but maybe it just sucks out the nutrients and then belches out the rest. Again, some of the stuff in this episode, primarily anything to do with like the alien itself proper, feels a little half-baked. Well, there's even the whole thing of, are the animals actually kidnapped, or have they had quote-unquote heart attacks? Because one person right. says they're kidnapped, and then the other one says, no, they're, they're all dead because of heart attacks. Obviously, they haven't had heart attacks, but the corpses are still there. So, anyway, whatever. We're not going to poke holes in this thing. So. Yeah. I really, speaking of regurgitating black goo, I was really happy with the scene of Kolshak and Vincenzo when Vincenzo's trying to eat that gourmet meal that has been brought to the office. Which ends up also being brains. How, how fucking strange is that? He's like, he has like a gourmet meal in his office with like a candle lights, candle and everything. Like he's in like a, like a fancy restaurant with like a waiter in his office. He says who has sent it over in the script. It's actually Mr. Marmelstein, Monique's uncle, who has sent it over. Who owns the paper. Yeah, and this one they change it to somebody else, which kind of makes more sense, I guess. I don't know why the publisher would be sending it back over or sending over this meal unless he was thankful that Monique is now under Tony's protection or something. I don't know, but right. who cares? It, it works. That scene works really well. The scene with Gordy the Ghoul works really well where he's surreptitiously passing this autopsy tape to Carl and uh, just this whole like – him behind the the other uh, mortician just shaking his head and like, oh, no, no, that's not the real story, Carl. And Carl just, you know, pretending like he's buying this whole thing and how great the relationship is now between him and this morgue attendant. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, we're getting to the point now where it's fleshing out Kolshak's interactions with these characters like Vincenzo, like Gordy the Ghoul, like Monique and, and Ron Updike. And that's Kind of refreshing to see him finally settle down a little bit in a way that, like, he's kind of got a group of characters that surround him that he plays off of really well. And it's kind of nice to see that. 
And we should point out that this was the first Cy Shermack episode that he had been brought in at this point to kind of quote unquote rescue the show from Paul Playden. Apparently Darren McGavin was not happy with Paul Playden and now Cy Shermack is in there. And I think he's probably not going to be happy with Cy Shermack either, but we'll hear more of that story as we go along. And then hopefully in an upcoming episode, Cy Shermack has a new autobiography out and we're uh, in line to talk to him for an upcoming episode. So teasing that now and hopefully that actually comes to fruition well let's not forget from all accounts darren mcgavin didn't want to do this show to begin with and that's not a position you want your lead star to be in because if you've ever done something against your will you know you don't put in the most effort let's put it that way you're not quote giving it your all if you're not interested to begin with if he's if he's dialing in this performance if he's phoning it in He's still given so much more than any other actor I've seen do in this type of role. Can you imagine if he hadn't been dialing it in? <laughs> wow. It, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have helped the script writing though. No. Well, that's the thing. I think again we see this problem of a weekly show and these kind of holes that are, you know, we're we're easily poking into. We haven't even really given it the, the real you know comb through to say, well, what about this? And what about this? And how about that thing? Just even looking at this cursory, it's like, oh, there's some things that don't really add up with this. Had they had more time to work on the script? I mean, I was looking at the revisions for the script and it was like, rather than, I think it was either last week or the week before with the scripts, it was every week they were handing in revisions. With this one, it was every three or four days. And they went through like six or seven revisions, one after another after another. And it's like, well, no wonder there's some loose ends in the script if you're you know, belting it out that much. You're not taking the time to tighten the script. Yeah, it's it's going to have some gonna have some hair to it that's still kind of sticking out you can't expect to to tie up all the loose ends and let's not forget everyone knows that the show is tonally way different than the original two movies in the original movie the second movie starts moving in that direction a little bit but the first movie it's not it's got comedy and humor to it but it's not played for laughs in this episode, I mean, there's parts where Kolshak's like flying backwards over himself, and I can't tell if that's supposed to be somewhat humorous or if it just looks that way. But when the alien is like pushing them back with his like wind breath or his <laughs> presence, I mean, it's funny. It, it it looks humorous them like falling all over themselves. The cops flying through the air is pretty good too. Yeah, like it, I can't tell if that's serious or if that's being played for laughs. Because so much of this show is played for laughs because it's a, it's much more humorous in its tone. Right, right. Like Carl in the men's room threatening Monique and it's just like they're kind of bantering. It's it's not necessarily like his girl Friday type of banter, but it's definitely supposed to be funny. Yeah, it's 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 got levity to it. And the first the first episode, the original movie, The Night Stalker, it wasn't really about levity. It was about a vampire killing people in Las Vegas. And the body count in that seems to have racked up a lot higher than the body count in this. I think he only kills the he the alien only kills the one guy and then it's all the animals. So, of course, he does almost take that one guy's head off by ripping his headphones off of him, but <laughs> the body count is a lot lower here. Well, and let's not forget, we haven't seen Kolshak kill the monster yet. Right. Because in the Night Stalker, he murders someone. 
Oh, yes. In, in like, cold blood, just murders a guy. And then jokes about it in the next episode. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if we're going to see anything like that in the show. I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, I mean, he kind of sewed up the zombie's mouth. And the other guy, the Ripper, just, I mean, um, you know, he got electrocuted to death. But it wasn't necessarily Carl, like, I don't know. He kind of orchestrated that. But it wasn't a real taking a hammer and pounding a stake through the guy's heart. <laughs> well, he got electrocuted, but not necessarily to death. He's probably still alive. He left his boots, though. And they're from the 1870s. Close-up boot. Fade out. Yeah. I do like, speaking of the, the end of the episode, I do like the fade-out ending of this episode. Again, he kind of is speaking to the camera, if memory serves. Yeah, he's breaking the fourth wall. He's essentially saying, well, they haven't shown up yet. And he's talking about the men in black. Or the men in gray suits in this one. Yeah. The man, the men in the sedan is is more apt, I guess. And then, uh, of course, seeing these kind of prototype men in black type of characters, I'm not going to the Will Smith movie. I'm actually going to the, um, again, an X-Files uh, episode. What was the, oh, it's one of the best X-Files episodes ever. The one with Alex Trebek. Jose Chung's From Outer Space. That is one of the best episodes, I think, ever. Yeah, I would agree. And this is the only Shack episode that deals with aliens. And I don't know when we look back, when we're finally said and done with this Cole Shack Tapes podcast, if we're going to look back and say, well, man, that doesn't really work tonally with the rest of the monsters. Because so far it's been like zombies or historical, like serial killers or vampires or like guys who can live forever, which is essentially just Jack the Ripper and then the doctor in the Night Strangler. So like when we maybe look back at the end of this, we might be like, well, that kind of sticks out because like there's nothing else like that that I can think of or I've or have seen just kind of skimming through the monsters that are in the rest of the show. So it's kind of strange, kind of like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And let's not forget, the Night Killers was about aliens. And now this is, it was about aliens replacing government officials with androids. And this is just about a straight up alien. And then I think we get an android in the, is it the Mr. Ring episode? Mr. Ring, yeah. But it's an android, not an alien. Right. Now, had they combined the two ideas, now we're talking. The Night Killers. (laughs) And also this episode's title is just, I don't even... Well, some people call it UFO, but I think it makes more sense to call it they have been, they are, they will be, just to not call it UFO and maybe allow it to be a surprise to first-time viewers. I don't know. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, though, either. It's a wacky title. Like, I don't know, what's it referencing? I think it's that... The aliens have been around, they are here, and they will be around for the rest of time. Okay, that's what I thought, but I wasn't... It's not clear, let's put it that way. And I have to say, on the script, the title of the episode is just UFO. Great. Yeah, so they, they definitely changed that prior to production at some point. Overall, though, that was better than the zombie episode, for sure. That's not hard. That zombie episode was just a mess. Needed more Fargus, needed more Crothers. This at least, like, at least this had, like, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I understood, like, where it was going. And I could actually see everything that was happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, that too. Yeah. Other than the alien, but I could actually make out what was happening in this episode. It wasn't a Peter Hyams film, yeah. Thank you, Alan Barron, for coming back and competently directing this one. Yes, thank you very much. We'll see what Don Weiss has in store for us when we do the vampire in two months. 
So, Chris, what has been keeping you busy over at the Culture Cast, sir? Rounding out the end of the summer, the summer has been long and dark and full of terrors. There was not. This summer was kind of a, a wasteland of sequels and bad sequels. Bad sequels. You still have all of August. That's where all the prime movies come out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Marvel's movie is already out for the summer, so as far as I'm concerned, the Prime movies are already out. Infinity I mean, War isn't out yet. Oh, good God. No, but uh, Homecoming's out, and Thor Ragnarok comes out in the fall. This year, the fall is like much more exciting than the summer. You have Blade Runner, you have Star Wars, you have Thor. You know, you have like three big, big releases in the fall. So the summer's been kind of rough. So to uh, further our sadomasochistic leaning tendencies, because we love to watch terrible movies and put ourselves through some shit we're going to be talking about controversial films in august Ooh, solo um, yep really yep oh wow serbian film oh shit <laughs> faces of death all right brown the brown bunny oh for god's sakes you are sadomasochistic <laughs> <laughs> i told you we we wanted to do something that i don't think i've seen a lot of other podcasts do which is tackle these movies seriously i mean a lot of the times it's like oh that's fucking crazy like they're chloe seven is just blowing that guy i mean there may be a little bit of that but like honestly i want to come at these movies from like a we know that these movies are like controversial and infamous let's talk about them seriously because like when roger ebert says this is the biggest piece of shit i've ever seen come on ebert you, you can't do that i'm sure there are much bigger pieces of shit out there i mean he's like the the brown bunny is like one of the few movies that ebert like probably went to his grave being like this movie was trash uh i remember fast forwarding through it <sighs> yeah to the one part <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah that the one part of that movie yeah and i had to import it from japan so i could see the actual like real thing oh, Jesus, it's not that great but i mean for the times i mean you i mean that's not something you see very often St still to this day not in mainstream films no, yeah, for sure. So that's what's going to be keeping us busy in August. Uh, and you can check that out over at cultureshock.com forward slash culturecast. We are also the culturecast on all podcast apps on iOS and Android. And I am on Twitter at culturestash if you want to come and bug me on Twitter. What about you, Mike? What's keeping you busy over at the Projection Booth Podcast? The upcoming month of August is going to be rather strange, rather eclectic. We're covering uh, our first Barovchek film. Speaking of controversial directors, but this one is a relatively tame entry from Barovchek, Lamarge. Uh, we're going to be looking at The Bellboy, so another controversial director there, Jerry Lewis. THX 1138 uh, by controversial director George Lucas. And uh, The Swimmer, yet another film from director Frank Perry, that's going to be rounding out August. And then we've got one more film that I have yet to announce because I'm not sure I have it locked in yet, which is very unusual for me. You know that. I do know that. You're the three, you're the three years out, man. Yeah. Well, I had one guest had to drop out, and then that caused a domino effect much like communism coming to cuba 
And uh, where can the good folks find you, Mr. White? Over at projection-booth.com. And how about yourself, sir? Cultureshock.com forward slash culturecast. Very nice. Thank you very much, John Walker, for doing our theme song. Thank you for everybody for listening. Thank you for folks who are going over to iTunes and rating and reviewing the show. Pretty much wherever you get the show, just go on over, leave some feedback, leave a rating if you can. Helps get the word out. We've actually had a, a, a just an exponential explosion of likes on our Facebook page, which is just kind of crazy. So not sure why that's happening. Maybe people are actually starting to listen and like us. And, you know, these episodes have been actually kind of short. It's not like a marathon five-hour session like a projection booth episode or a – well, you're, you're running at least two hours over there at CultureCast. Uh, we've done a couple eight-hour podcasts. Holy shnikes. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, the Saw podcast and the uh, Teenage Ninja Turtles podcast. Those were like eight hours long apiece. Wow. Well, I guess if we did the entire – Entire run of Kolchak all at once, then we might be talking about that. But yeah, that'd be a hell of a podcast. <laughs> oh man, maybe we'll just Ooh, edit all these be. together and we'll see how it turns out. Uh, that would be a monster of a podcast. You know what? I, I put this challenge out here to our listeners. If you guys got us to the top 25, top 50 on iTunes, Mike and I will come to Chicago, the home of Kolchak, and do a live Kolchak tapes. That works. Put that to you, our listeners. If you get us into the top 50 on iTunes, my hand to God, if he existed, which he doesn't, um, we'll come to it live for you, the listener. All right. Guess we got to keep watching the charts. Some people watch the skies. We'll watch the charts. And make sure to listen next month when we come back for the next episode of the Kolshak 2006 reboot. And that episode is called, Mike? The Five People You Meet in Hell. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Be sure to join us next month. Get us up there at the top in iTunes, and we'll be Chicago-bound. They tried to make a little park out of the woods near Snake Rock, daffodils, tulips, but they couldn't get anything to grow. There was an area shaped like a saucer at the bottom. If you want to see it, you'll have to hurry. Our park commission decided overnight to do extensive reclamation work in that particular spot. They're filling it in with concrete. What happened? It's all a point of view, really. A traveler has a breakdown, stops to fix it, gets a road map, has a bite to eat, and goes on his way. It's happened to all of us. His traveler happened to be light years off his course instead of miles. As for me, well, I haven't heard from the boys in the sedan yet. <laughs>